This is the Epilog Audio Experience. The language and content on this podcast may be unsuitable for certain audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to History Chatter. We just finished a five-episode series on the history of atomic research in India. and we concluded in the middle of 1980s when a planned test in 83 did not go through as a matter of fact there were several of these uh, tests which were planned but they did not go through one of these happened in 1995 so i heard um, a great deal from you guys and um, thank you for your interest partly to wet your appetite here's a special additional episode and if you're listening to me on apple podcast do check out their display board we are prominently there on the front page of their display board so here's the extra episode the test that did not happen that was in 1995 the whole year the country was on tenter hooks you'd probably remember that uh, the government of narasimha rao which uh, ruled india between 91 and 96 was a minority government and it did have a good deal of anxiety about its popularity the national elections were coming up in 1996 and one of the concerns the prime minister had at the time was how to fend off the opposition charges that he was not doing too well that he was not really in control and that he was a little uptight on the question of nuclear and missile programs so he did authorize preparations for a nuclear weapon test unfortunately it was discovered by the us surveillance programs and it was released in the press i'll come to that story but uh, how did it all really happen now narasimha rao did not exactly sanction a bomb test which the scientists had sought in april 1996 elections took place and both narasimha rao and the congress party were driven away from par which was largely for domestic reasons in may the bharatiya janata party or uh, the bjp formed a government which lasted only 12 or 13 days even within that brief period prime minister vajpayee secretly authorized nuclear weapon tests but then he also retracted that authorization that is a story i promised to tell you some other time today i want to tell you the story of the failed or uncompleted test in 1995 how did it really begin and how did it pan out in january 1995 india reached an agreement with china for the supply of low enriched uranium fuel for the tarapur reactors now china's um, keenness or interest to solve the nagging fuel problem 
made good business sense. And it did contribute to the improvement of the relations between the two countries. Times of India, for instance, uh, wrote this in an editorial, and I quote, This deal should be the first step towards promoting a meaningful India-China nuclear dialogue, unquote. Now, Delhi and Beijing were still far from resolving their border disputes. But this brief positive phase uh, suggested that they were going some distance ahead in resolving their security concerns. By March 1995, the experts um, in the Indian strategic community were focusing keenly on the international conference which was coming up to review and vote on the extension of the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. There were two basic concerns, really. If the non-nuclear tests uh, or non-nuclear weapon states, um, which formed a huge majority of 170-plus countries, could win some sort of a firm commitment to nuclear disarmament from the five nuclear weapon tests, then India stood a chance for its moral and diplomatic position to be reaffirmed. It would come up stronger out of the meeting. India, of course, was not a signatory to this conference. Therefore, it did not participate in it, but it was very interested. However, if the nuclear weapon states um, could fend off the demands of disarmament and win a strong international endorsement for maintaining their existing regime of nuclear haves and have-nots, it would be a major setback for everyone concerned, including India. Now, meanwhile, in India, experts started uh, talking about exercising the nuclear option quite aggressively. Abdul Kalam, who would later become president, but at the time was the chairperson of DRDO, Defense Research and Development Organization, publicly urged a defiance of American pressure to slow or stop the deployment of uh, missiles. Here's what he said, and I quote, we cannot go by the suggestions of other countries on such matters, unquote. On um, April the 3rd, 1995, the opposition BJP attacked the Rao government for giving up the nuclear option by practically surrendering to American pressure against the nuclear and missile programs of India. So what was happening in the NPT conference, Nuclear Non-Proliferation Conference? They had intense debate for three weeks, but finally on 11th of May, the president of the NPT conference declared without objection that they had reached a consensus to extend the treaty indefinitely as it existed at the time. In other words, 
it was a major setback for countries like India. The extension of nuclear non-proliferation treaty in that conference left India more isolated than ever. So rather than conform with the international mainstream, which had been favoring non-proliferation, India became more defiant. It would, at a minimum, preserve the nuclear option. But to do this in the face of growing international pressure, India would have to show that its missile program would not be slowed down. There was another provocation. India's political and security calculations became much more complicated when China conducted a nuclear test on May 15, which was just four days after the extension of Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. So, to those Indians who are concerned, the Chinese test underlined the renewed and re-legitimated determination of the nuclear weapon states to lord their arsenals over the rest of the world. They were, they were behaving like bullies, classic bullies, really. And that's how India made sense of these things anyway. Once again, let's go back to Abdul Kalam and what was happening on the nuclear front in India. Abdul Kalam assumed control of the DRDO in 1992. Meanwhile, R. Chidambaram's team at the Bhaba Atomic Research Center and their counterparts working on nuclear weapon design at the DRDO had developed a range of deliverable fission weapons and one or more boosted fission designs. Plus, they were working on a thermonuclear design. The nuclear establishment's morale and budgets, obviously, had become increasingly connected, staked really, to the national security mission, something that we have discussed at length in the previous episodes. By August 1995, army laborers were pumping water from shafts and making additional preparations for nuclear tests at the Pokhran site. It seems that Prime Minister Rao had responded to Kalam's and Chidambaram's requests and explicitly authorized preparation work for nuclear tests. Perhaps he even um, agreed to emplacement of devices in um, taste shafts, but he probably had not yet taken a decision to proceed to detonation of the weapons. The scientists were given to assume that a test decision would follow soon. Now, the scientists had been pushing um, for tests, nuclear weapon tests, on three grounds, really. They needed to perfect and demonstrate their technological innovations. Second, they believed that only full-scale explosive tests could validate their work, and therefore, 
the nuclear deterrent uh, power of India. They needed explosive tests also to recruit and retain talented scientists and engineers in the nuclear and defense programs with, of course, high-paying jobs uh, in the commercial technology sector tempting those scientists. So they needed the test really to retain high-quality manpower as well. Now, the campaign for nuclear testing and further development of missiles received another indirect boost in September. So in September, the U.S. Senate passed the Brown Amendment. The Brown Amendment authorized release of uh, some major military equipment to Pakistan, which were so far withheld. So by the early fall of 1995, Narasimha Rao and his Congress party were politically quite in a tight spot. A number of significant Congress politicians had been charged with corruption and Rao himself was becoming tainted by the charge of a payoff. But that's another story. Let's keep those questions in the background, however. The BJP's political narrative portrayed Congress as weak-willed, meek, and deferential to outside pressures. They claimed that the Congress was trying to retard India's nuclear prowess and national strength. So the ground was really prepared and the Prime Minister's consent for a weapons test could have come at any moment at the stage. That was the end of 1995. Unfortunately, spotlights exposed the test preparations on December 15. Tim Weiner of the New York Times reported on page 1 that US intelligence satellites had detected step up activity at the Pokhran taste site. It indicated that India might be preparing to conduct a nuclear weapon test. However, Weiner added as a qualification, and I quote, that intelligence experts could not tell whether the activity involved preparations for exploding a nuclear bomb or some other experiment to increase India's expertise in making nuclear weapons, unquote. The Indian government responded immediately. They initially denied that they were preparing for a possible test. It called the Times report highly speculative. Shortly after the news of the test preparations appeared in public, however, President Clinton, U.S. President Clinton, called up Indian Prime Minister Rao and urged him not to proceed. According to a knowledgeable American official of the time, Rao said somewhat reassuringly that India would not act irresponsibly, but he offered no categorical commitment not to test. The press was going berserk in India. The Hindustan Times wrote in an editorial, and I quote, Mr. Narasimha Rao's Congress party stands a fair chance of winning if he undertakes fresh nuclear tests 
which Indian voters would widely see as the act of a brave national hero, unquote. The paper urged Rao not to be inhibited by the United States, nor to follow the BJP's demands for weaponization of the nuclear option. The most sophisticated analysts, however, recognized that issues beyond politics and surrender to the US underlay the question. They now began to very carefully weigh India's options. Uh, for example, C. Raja Mohan wrote uh, that uh, the time was now coming to close the domestic nuclear debate and make a firm decision on exercising the nuclear option. The pending comprehensive taste ban treaty was forcing India practically to make a clear decision whether it could maintain a credible nuclear deterrent without testing or it should firmly go ahead with a small number of tests that will allow it to impart credibility to its minimum deterrent posture. That was C. Raja Mohan. Now, after these small but critical tests, he believed India could join the CTBT regime as a declared nuclear weapon power. K. Subramaniam, the father of the current foreign minister of India, K. Jayashankar, repeated, however, his earlier arguments that India's first device had proved that its scientists know how and know how to make a bomb, really, and the nation did not need to test right at that moment. The government now moved quite decisively to conclude the debate. The Foreign Minister Pranav Mukherjee categorically denied that India was preparing to conduct a nuclear test. Now, Indian officials probably knew that American intelligence would detect further activity. Thus, Pranub Mukherjee's statement probably reflected a genuine decision. Otherwise, India's credibility would have been damaged further. And that's more or less how the officials in Washington also interpreted the matter. Everyone heaved a collective sigh of relief. That's then yet another occasion when India came extremely close to testing a nuclear weapon, but finally did not do it for a variety of reasons. Part of it had to do with uh, domestic political concerns, Probably a great deal of it had to do with advanced American detections, but we will never know. The government or the nuclear science establishment does not quite clearly declare what exactly happened in situations such as this. This is more or less what we know, what exists in the public domain on this aborted or steel-born nuclear weapons test in 1999. I look forward to hearing from you more and do please come back for the future episodes of History Chatter. This additional episode on the series History Chatter concludes now. I look forward to seeing you again. Thank you. Thank you.